0: Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Kay Heimowitz. Kay is the William E. Simon Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor of City Journal. Her work focuses on childhood, family, cultural issues, many other topics and it's appeared in multiple prominent outlets including the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and of course City Journal where where her byline appears regularly. Kay's the author of several books, including Manning Up, How the Rise of Women Has Turned Men into Boys. Today, we're going to discuss her essay, The Transgender Children's Crusade, which appears in our spring issue, and it describes young people's unique vulnerability to gender ideology. So Kay, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Uh, Very happy to be here, Brian.
0: So you begin this essay... By telling the story of Jazz Jennings, transgender activist and a reality television star and influencer, who parents whose parents transitioned her from male to female, um, really beginning at a very young age when she started showing a predilection for you know girl toys and behavior, um, Jazz, you know, has has chronicled the most intimate details of of gender transition on view, really, from her childhood social transition to her sex reassignment surgery uh, when she was 17. But her, her journey uh, is not typical, you write, but it is emblematic of the increasingly commonplace idea that selecting one's so-called gender identity is part of growing up. So I wonder if you can, just to set Uh, set the context for the story. Uh, If you could describe the concept of gender identity and how it's transforming the experience of coming of age in America.
1: Yeah, I think probably a lot of listeners have heard about puberty blockers and uh, uh, hormones and all the uh, debate that's going on about those in states around the country. Uh, but I wanted to really focus a little bit more on the idea of gender identity, there's a kind of dogma about it that uh, I don't think people, a lot of people realize is behind a lot of the thinking uh, about uh, transition, about transgender kids. Gender identity uh, posits that we have, all of us, uh, a, an identity, a, a, some part of the self that is uh, defined by, but that only we have access to. Uh, and it's almost a spiritual idea. Uh, in fact, there are those who refer to gender identity as a, as a kind of religion, uh, and I don't think they're entirely wrong. You decide that you uh, have inside you a female or male or some other odd idea. Uh, Maybe not even um, familiar identity, and that's and only you know. Uh, And when you speak, when you say, uh, "I am, I am really a girl," if you're a boy, let's say in um, Jazz Jennings' case, uh, that is uh, supposed to be taken at face value. Okay, that is what you feel you are. Gender identity is separate from um, sex. Uh, which we generally think of as male or female, uh, although there are a lot of activists who are disputing that now. Uh, it is separate from sexual orientation. It doesn't tell you uh, who the, the individual is attracted to. It tells you the gender identity. Uh, this is a relatively new concept. Well, very new concept. I was just looking at a paper that showed that the word gender was only used in relation to grammar Um, Up until the middle of the century, of the 20th century, even then, uh, if you if you searched for the word gender in articles about uh, marriage, family or anything related to that, you wouldn't find the word gender. Nobody was using it. And even till about 2010, it wasn't all that common in relation to young people, uh, in relation to children. And adolescence, and, and it is now, of course, central to uh, our discussion about about childhood and adolescence, um, and becoming uh, very much part of the way children and adolescents begin to think about who they are and what they want to be.
0: This is really an extraordinary uh, development and an accelerated one, as as you suggest. Uh, it's it's as if it's come out of nowhere. Um, you know, parents. Every parent would once recognize that children are given to uh, make make believe, making things up. Uh, they fight cowboys or dress up as princesses or you know play space aliens, whatever. Um, they're they're not very good at thinking about the future. Uh, they're they're very present oriented. Yet, gender activists are claiming that children who are clearly emotionally and intellectually immature are somehow fit to make decisions about their bodies that are going to permanently alter their health and identity. So I, I wonder, you know, how do you explain this, this uh, contra- contradiction of gender identity with the basic tenets of child psychology and, and how are so child psychologists reacting to this?
1: Yeah, I don't find that there is an explanation for it. Uh, One of the things I wanted to get at in my article was just how much of a gap there is between what we always thought about children and what we're now being told about them. Um, The uh, gender activists don't really explain the problem of a childhood immature, of the immaturity of children. Um, They uh, are, are insistent that child knows who she he they is or are uh and that they are nobody else can really know know the child knows now they you know they're not uh proposing that every child is interested in being a different uh, a different gender than their sex uh these terms get very confusing i know um, but they are implying that if any, if a child says something like, as, as, uh, Jazz did, evidently, according to her parents, uh, that she really was a girl inside, uh, we're just t- supposed to take that at face value. She knows. Um, the, one of the most prominent of the child psychologists, um, in, uh, in this area, a woman named Diane Aronsaft, uh, at the University of San Francisco, um, puts it this way. she says, "It's not for us to tell, it's for the child to say. Uh, and there is no age really given for that self-knowledge. Um, and some children, as as you point out, are are prone to magical thinking, jazz herself. Uh, asked her mother when she was uh, three or four, "When is the good fairy coming and giving me um, a vagina and taking away my penis?" So, did she really believe that? I don't know. I don't know. But we know children talk that way and that they do have very rich and active fantasy lives. The idea that they could understand uh, from "I want to play with dolls," let's say, or "or I like wearing sparkly bathing suits" as Jazz did, that they could go from that to understanding what the implications are to become the opposite sex, or to try to uh, try to become the opposite sex, because um, in truth, they cannot become the opposite sex, as they learn uh, when they go through these surgeries, which are Often uh, filled with all sorts of uh, after effects, unpleasant after effects and problems, as was the case uh, with with jazz. Um, so I think the idea that these children and and also adolescents, and I'll talk about that in a minute, um, are capable of understanding the implications of wanting to change their uh, their sex, Um, of becoming something else and of understanding all the after effects that come with that. Because what we now know is that if you give a a child, a teenager, uh, cross-sex hormones, give a boy estrogen and a girl testosterone, they will uh, very likely become infertile, that is never be able to have children. Uh, and, uh, their sexual function will, will be, uh, limited, restricted, uh, possibly pretty, pretty dramatically. And, um, try to tell that to a 13 year old who's hysterical for whatever reasons, maybe not being included in a peer group where everybody's trans. Um, there's a lot of social contagion, uh, going on here. Um, but the point is we should know we know better than to believe the teenager who becomes hysterical about something that they don't un- understand they don't understand themselves that's one of the very strong facts about being about being a teenager and we know this because we have all sorts of laws and customs that say Adolescents are not fully are not fully mature. They're not fully uh, grown into themselves. Uh, that's why we don't let them drop by alcohol. That's why we don't give them the driver's licenses or uh, why we have laws against even uh, getting tattoos without a parent's permission. Uh, all of these suggest that we do know by law and custom that children and adolescents are not fully uh, adult uh, and there is nothing that I have seen in the literature uh, from the uh, trans activists that can explain how uh, what they think children are capable of. Are they proposing, for instance, that we lower the age uh, when which children are able to get guns? I doubt it. You know, are they are they proposing that we? Um, give them uh, access to alcohol, buying alcohol, I really doubt it. But yet here they are saying they can they can um, acquiesce, not only acquiesce, but request and should be respected when they request uh, uh, puberty blockers uh, and cross-sex hormones.
0: Really amazing. Um, you know, a bit more on the teens. High schools generally serve as... The kind of proving ground for today's teenagers. So I wonder how has the high school setting and especially the role of peer influence contributed to this um, rising emergence of transgender identifying youth. And and relatedly, you know, how does social media, which which uh, you know enables users to curate their own communities and you know really creates the kind of uh, a world in which most teens live these days complicate things further.
1: So, you know, there was a time where adolescents, teenagers, um, were not separated off into the ghettos that were uh, high schools, that is, they they were part of the world. Uh, they worked in, some of them worked in factories. I'm talking, uh, you know, many, 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 many decades ago. Uh, they worked uh, as apprentices and they had jobs and they were sort of part of a community and part of the workplace and part of the family. I mean, girls, of course, were expected to uh, be at home and helping with their mothers, although they did start to work in factories. Uh, later, uh, I guess, by the late 19th century, in some cases, the point is they were not only among peers; they were among uh, adults as well. Now, with the high school, um, and this goes goes back to the 1940s and 50s, with the high school, uh, you have children, teenagers, who are, I believe, by nature, very much. Uh, program to follow to conform uh, to uh, to the uh, people around them uh, who are mostly surrounded by people their age. At any rate, uh, we know that the peer group is a very very powerful force in children in teenagers' lives, um, and uh, you know social scientists. Do know this? They they've done a tremendous amount of work showing that there are all sorts of of problems of uh, of damaging behaviors that can be spread through the peer group. I mean, we've we've social network theory has found that there are uh, social contagion effects for uh, obesity, smoking, drinking. Uh, and on and on, even suicide. There was one st- uh, study showing, or more than one, uh, So and self-cutting as well. So these things do get passed on to kids. Now, as you point out, the real change though today is social media because they you don't need a peer group in your high school who is telling you about being trans or about changing your identity or about uh, uh, questioning your identity, um, they uh, can find it on all over the social media. And um, all of these kids are, you know, they live on social media uh, when they're not in school and maybe when, even when they they are in school. Uh, and um, some of the social media websites are known for hosting um Groups of kids who want to identify, let's say, as okay, girls who want to identify as boy trans, uh, trans uh, girls, uh, trans boys, uh, and they can go on websites on Reddit or or Discord or some of the other places, uh, and um, and converse with people who have done it already, and they they get advice about how, what to tell your parents, what to tell the gender. Clinician, um, in the case of girls who want to uh, trans uh, transition to become boys, um, they learn where and ha- uh, where and how to wear j- uh, chest binders to um, make them look like they don't have breasts, uh, and they learn to um, uh, that. Th- there's a certain amount of manipulation that can go on when a child, when a teenager goes to the gender clinic because they've seen and heard from other kids who have already been through it. What, how you convince uh, the clinician that you are ready for or, or a, able to handle uh, puberty blockers or, or uh, uh, hormones. You can also, there are even cosmetic surgeons who are advertising on some of these social media websites uh, to encourage kids to call them if they want to have a double mastectomy. Now, I want to be careful here. This is not, um, we're not talking about younger children here. I I don't think they're, occasionally you hear, and I think it's been shown to be true, that there are 14, 15-year-olds who are having their breasts removed But I think that's very rare, and it's even rare uh, still to see older kids. But it's happening, and it's happening more and more. And as I say, there are even cosmetic surgeons advertising to these kids. And um, I don't think this is all about money, but they are making a pretty penny off of of these surgeries. Um, And the kids are extremely vulnerable uh, to an adult encouraging them uh, and, and telling them how to do this, uh, and they uh, are going ahead with it in many cases. And then the, there's also, in Jazz's case, uh, bottom surgery, which in her uh, case involved vag- uh, vaginoplasty, um, in which you cast, cast, basically, castrate the the child and try to create a uh, artificial vagina. Uh, now that she didn't do that till she was seventeen, and I think that's primarily the age that kids are doing this. But I don't know how many people were, or have been around 17-year-olds recently. But I have, and um, I wouldn't trust them to make a decision like that. These are irreversible changes. These will change their, their lives completely. Uh, and I don't think they can possibly know whether, it, whether this is what they, as a 30-year-old, would want.
0: Parents are uh, naive, you write, right, to believe that their children's exposure to gender, gender ideology, you know, whether in school or online, as, as you've been describing, is inconsequential um, or, or, for that matter, easily countered. Uh, I wonder, maybe this is changing, but why are so many parents still in the dark about this? And what can parents do to prevent their children from falling victim to these kind of uh, Uh, I view, as very dark influences?
1: Well, I think there are um, a a lot of things going on for for parents. Um, One is that uh, there is a significant minority, I do believe it's a minority, who really believe that the trans movement is a kind of, um, uh, is is an extension of the gay rights movement, and um, that this is just something that if they're going to be Modern and with it, they they have to accept. So I think there are a lot of parents like that, although not a majority. Uh, and then you have um, the efforts of some educators. I don't want to say all oh, that would be wrong. Some educators who are in favor of gender identity ideology and who are uh, not only suggesting that kids think about what pronoun they should have but what their gender identity is in other words gender identity they're pushing the idea that gender identity is something that these kids should be thinking about from a very young age there are books in all these all the school libraries about gender identity uh, and uh, about kids who have transitioned or thinking of transitioning uh, maybe not getting surgery, but who are, are considering social transition, which means that they would um, present themselves as the opposite sex. Let's say a girl, a boy who was going to wear dresses and grow hair very long and look like a girl uh, and, and change his name also. Um, that would be a social transition so I, I I think teachers um, are encouraged in many places. And you know, remember, we're a big country. we have a decentralized education system, and I don't want us I, I think it's very unlikely that this is going on everywhere. But there are many, many schools where teachers are encouraging this. And in fact, there are states, California and Maryland, in particular uh, uh, to name two, where, it it is forbidden, it is against the law, state law, to tell a parent if their child is asking to use a different pronoun or or a different name. So the schools, at least in some places, are very much on the side of the transition, and they tell parents uh, in some cases, and this is more likely to come from a gender clinic, that if you don't uh, endorse your child's transition, they will kill themselves, or they're very, they're at great risk of suicide. Is the way they'll they'll put it. The common phrase is, "Would you rather have a live son or a dead daughter?" And parents are terrified. They're terrified that they're going to destroy their children's lives, and um, are not in a position to argue. These are doctors telling them that this is absolutely necessary. In some cases. Um, this is one of the things that I think has been understated uh, in the uh, press, in the mainstream press, uh, of, how, of how much pressure these parents are under to uh, endorse, to confirm, to validate their child's uh, supposed gender identity.
0: Well, it's a remarkable and uh, disturbing story. It's called The Transgender Children's Crusade. Uh, Kay Heimwitz, I wanted to thank you coming on 10 Blocks. Uh, as always, don't forget to check out Kay's work on the City Journal website, www.city-journal.org. We'll link to her author page in the description, and you can find her on Twitter, at Kay Heimwitz. Uh, the story uh, will, be, will be posted there, and it's available on our website. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at cityjournal underscore mi. And if you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Kay Heimowitz, thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.